Hi. If you're a member of New Frontiers Church, or perhaps a friend of the church who has given to some of our special offerings in the past, I just want to thank you for your generosity. And I want to commend you for exemplifying what Jesus teaches us in this next passage from the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to be looking at today. Do you realize that over the last couple of years, our church has given over $25,000 to help dozens of abused women who had found refuge at a safe house in the Middle East? Your generosity enabled them to get home to their own countries and families. We've also, for the last few years, been financially supporting a ministry in Mumbai, India, that is helping trafficked women, women who have been trapped in prostitution as well as a church that has emerged in that red light district. We heard news just this past week about a woman and her daughter who have been rescued from the brothel uh, through this ministry and are now in a safe house. It's our giving that has enabled that to happen. More locally, an initiative that our church started called Vroom Vroom Beep Beep just gave their 13th car to a single mum who, like many others in her situation, uh, desperately needed transportation to get to work because of the generosity of many people, and I've got no clue who they are, 13 cars have now been given away to help women in need over the past two years. 13 cars in just two years. I mean... Wow. Not only that, but three months ago, we took up our biggest benevolence offering yet with over $50,000 given that will help many, many people who are in need. And then just two months later, we received over $40,000 to help our churches in Turkey minister to those whose lives have been devastated by the terrible earthquake in Turkey and Syria. I mean, do the math. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars and we are not a big church and that's not to mention the many other ways that people in our church have been helping the needy and spending hours upon hours with people in recovery and serving those on the margins of society you know i feel very humbled and blessed to belong to a church like this because that kind of generosity towards the poor and needy is very close to God's heart, as we'll see. And I believe God would commend our church for these acts of mercy. I really do. But at the same time, he would call us to guard our hearts and motives and go even further. So with all that said, let's now read what Jesus says next in his Sermon on the Mount. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, if you've been following this series, you will know that Jesus said that the righteousness of his followers should exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. 
uh, because you know these religious leaders he was talking about they they seemed righteous on the outside you know they were zealous about keeping the law you might say they were very moralistic or self-righteous but it's because their hearts were not right before God they had wrong attitudes and motives and that's been an issue for the church throughout its history it's all too easy for those who profess to be Christians to fall into the same trap. And so Jesus says here, beware. This is something we need to be aware of. You know, we need to make sure our hearts are right. Because it's a right heart that will result in right attitudes, right motives, and right living. And that is the kind of righteousness Jesus is looking for. So here in chapter 6, Jesus continues his teaching on righteousness and he again gets to the heart of the issue by addressing our motives for doing three things. And if you read on in chapter 6, you'll see what they are. Giving to the needy, praying and fasting. Three practices that are found in just about every religion. And in our text today, we're looking at the first one, which is giving to the needy. But Jesus starts in verse 1 by uh, summarising the heart issue that was common to all three. At least it was common among the religious types in his day. And that was to make uh, such a public performance out of practising these things that it would get people's attention. So they, they would say how good and godly they were. They were doing it to receive praise and honour from men rather than from God. And it meant that their motivation was all wrong. So Jesus is saying, beware of this. Beware, he says, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Because if that's why you're doing it, then he says, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So let's look now at the first of those practices, which is giving to the needy. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Now, before we look at uh, our motivation in giving, I think we need to recognise there is an assumption here that we will give. Did you see that? Jesus says, when you give to the needy, not if, but when. And if you read the whole passage again, you'll see he repeats himself when you give to the needy, right? There is an assumption here that his followers will practice benevolent giving. And that's because we see this practice right through the Bible. Just a, a couple of examples would be Deuteronomy 15 verse 11. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. And of course, there were all kinds of laws for God's people about uh, leaving some of their harvest for the poor and for the aliens in the land. And in doing so, they were honouring God, as it says in Proverbs 14, verse 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honours him. Now the Israelites thought that they were honouring God with their sacrifices and fasting, but God wasn't too impressed, and it's because of how they were treating others. And he makes that clear in Isaiah 58, 
where he says, Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loosen the chains of injustice? To share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them? And this concern for the needy carries right through to the New Testament, where we read in James 1, 27, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. I'm told that there are over 2,000 references to caring for the needy in the Bible. So this is clearly something that matters a lot to God. Right? It's, a, it's an aspect of his righteousness that is to be reflected in the hearts of his people. Uh, which is why I think the generosity of our own church must surely delight the heart of God, because it honours him. And I'm not even talking about our regular giving. I'm not talking here about tithing, uh, which is uh, giving a percentage of our income as we acknowledge God as our provider. Right? It's our tithes that support the ministry and mission of his church. So that is vitally important as well. Right? Tithing honours God as our provider. But the giving I'm talking about today has been over and above that. All the money that's been given in response to the needs of others. And that also honours God. As the proverb said, he who is generous to the needy honours him. Because it's a reflection of God's own heart. And of course that doesn't just apply to giving money. Uh, but giving our time, using our gifts and uh, taking initiative to bring relief to the needy as so many do in our church, uh, whether by serving the recovery community or at Next Generation, uh, Lydia's House of Hope, Portsmouth Housing Authority, or the so many other ways that our church members serve people in need, often unseen. The great preacher C.H. Spurgeon once preached on Psalm 41 verse 1, which says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor, in the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Spurgeon said, this precious promise belongs to those who consider the poor, looks into their case, devise plans for their benefit, and considerately carries them out. We can do more by care than by cash, and most with the two together. We need both. We need both care and cash. I love quoting Spurgeon partly because I studied at the pastor's college he founded, which is now called Spurgeon's College, but also because he lived what he preached. His church in London started orphanages for homeless children, as well as homes for women who couldn't provide for themselves. They did all kinds of good works to serve the needs of the blind and the poor in 19th century London. And I think that's where the church really does shine, where people should be able to see our good deeds, as Jesus said earlier in his sermon in Matthew 5. Right? It's the good works we do together to serve the needy that causes the church to be a light to the world. And it's not something that we should go bragging about or draw attention to. We just let our light shine. And Jesus said it will cause people to praise our Father in heaven. But in our text today, Jesus is talking more about our personal motivation for giving to the needy. He says, when you give, 
Don't sound the trumpet like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Now, I don't know whether these hypocrites were uh, literally sounding trumpets when they gave to the poor. It was common practice to give alms to the poor who sat in the street at the temple gates or to put money in the special offering boxes in the synagogues. But I doubt that they were actually trumpets announcing the good deed. I think Jesus was saying something similar to what we would say today, which is, don't blow your own trumpet. Don't make a big show of it. Uh, which, which these people, most likely the Pharisees and others, were clearly doing. Don't be like them, says Jesus. But when you give to the needy, do it in secret. Keep it quiet. Right? Don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. Now, what did he mean by that? It was probably an anecdotal saying, meaning don't go around telling everyone. But it doesn't mean you can't put a check in the offering because people will know who it's from. It doesn't mean that you can only give cash anonymously or you have to wear a disguise when you give money to someone who is homeless. I mean, that would be silly, wouldn't it? What Jesus is addressing here is our motive for giving, right? The giving in secret is meant to contrast with blowing our own trumpet. He's simply saying, don't do it to get recognition, right? We don't do it for our own benefit, right? So we will look good. Rather, we do it for the good of others. And there's a story told about Spurgeon and his wife that I think helps to illustrate what Jesus is saying here. Apparently, the Spurgeons used to keep chickens that produce quite a number of eggs, but they refused to give the eggs away. They insisted on selling them, even to their own relatives. They told them, you may have them if you pay for them. And as a result, some people labelled the Spurgeons as greedy and grasping. But they never tried to defend themselves from the criticism. It was only after Mrs Spurgeon died that the full story was revealed. All the profits from the sale of the eggs went to support two elderly widows. And because the Spurgeons felt that this was something that they should do quietly and in secret, they endured the attacks in silence. They didn't do it to be seen by men. It was enough that their actions were seen by God alone. They didn't do it for their own benefit so that they would have recognition. They did it purely to benefit two elderly women, and who knows whether they even knew where their support came from. So it's our motivation that Jesus is addressing here. You know, the things we do and the way we appear may look impressive to others, and who wouldn't enjoy the praise it might bring us? But God looks upon the heart. He knows our motives, and he only rewards right giving. Jesus said the hypocrites give so that they may be praised by others. And then he said, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Those who give to promote themselves will just receive the praises of men which are fleeting, and that is the only reward they will get. 
it's interesting that Jesus uses two different words that are translated reward in this passage. He says that those who give so that they will receive the praise of others, they have received their reward. And the word he uses there was used to describe a commercial transaction where you paid for a service. He's saying they got what they paid for. They gave money, but not for the benefit of others. They gave money to get praise. It's a kind of cold, heartless transaction. And they have been paid in full, says Jesus. But those who give with a right heart will receive a reward from their Father in heaven. And the word he uses for reward there means to give back something. We give, and so God gives to us. So what is the reward that we receive from our Father in heaven? Well, Jesus doesn't say. The Bible speaks of future heavenly rewards as well as rewards we may receive now. Some would say the fact that it pleases God when we give to the needy should be reward enough. But others would also say that seeing a need relieved is the only reward we should want. Listen to John Stott. He says, When through his gifts the hungry are fed, the naked clothed, the sick healed, the oppressed freed, and the lost saved, the love which prompted the gift is satisfied. Such love, which is God's own love expressed through man, brings with it its own secret joys and desires no other reward. As Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But there's also a promise given in Scripture to those who consider the poor. As Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And that's similar to the promise that Spurgeon preached on in Psalm 41. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. So let me close by quoting a bit more from Spurgeon's sermon about this promise. He says, To those who consider the poor, the Lord promises his own consideration in times of distress. He will bring us out of trouble if we help others when they are in trouble. We shall receive very singular providential help if the Lord sees that we try to provide for others. We shall have a time of trouble, however generous we may be. But if we are charitable, we may put in a claim for peculiar deliverance, and the Lord will not deny his own word and bond. Miserly curmudgeons may help themselves, but considerate and generous believers the Lord will help. As you have done unto others, so will the Lord do unto you. So empty your pockets, says Spurgeon. You've got to love Spurgeon. So to everyone who's given to our special offerings and who are involved in helping people in need, a big thank you. I know you don't do it for my praise or for the praise of others. Your reward will come from our Father in heaven. So let's continue to be generous with our time and money as we consider the needs of others. As the Apostle Paul exhorted the Corinthians, let us excel in this grace of giving. And may we all experience the secret joy that it brings. And may we all know the Lord's help and his deliverance when we find ourselves in times of trouble. God bless you today. Now here are some questions for group discussion. First, how would you summarise this message 
And what were some take-homes for you personally? Secondly, how did the message encourage you? Is there anything you would do differently? And thirdly, spend some time thanking the Lord for his blessing and that we would continue to be generous with our time and money. <music>